Hi friends, I'm so glad you're joining me today. I just wanted to um, share my gratitude for your support of my show. I'm shocked and amazed at the number of downloads and those of you who are liking and subscribing and driving the show up to the top so other people can find it. I'm just so grateful. We're gonna create sexual health together, guys. And I also wanted to share with you a little bonus for all of you. So I've joined up with Lilo. They are my favorite sexual tool or sexual toy company. Lilo is really high quality. The motors are not gonna die out over time, which most do. The material is really soft in your hand and on your skin, and they come packaged really discreetly to your home. I feel like I'm opening up a piece of jewelry, not something tacky. It just really fits my personality. I totally endorse Lilo. They're the brand and the product that I've got in my nightstand. And I just wanted to let you know that they're going to offer a 25% off code for my listeners. It's so great. So if you want to try a Lilo toy or product, which is L-E-L-O dot com, you can use my promo code CAMI20, C-A-M-I-20, CAMI20 is the promo code, and they're going to give my listeners 20% off any full-priced items. I'm just so grateful. That's so generous of them. It's so great. You're going to be supporting me and helping the show survive and thrive, and I just want to pass that off to you guys. I want to share with you another one of my favorite products. Coconu, which is C-O-C-O-N-U Lube, is one of my new favorite products. It's what I've got in my nightstand. It's organic. It's made the right way, helps us sustain the planet, and it is an excellent product. It beats the other water-based and oil-based lubes that I'm familiar with in a lot of categories. Their product line is very simple. They've got an oil-based lube, which is amazing. They've got a water-based lube, which is long-lasting. That's important. And they have a CBD body massage oil, which I just can't get enough of. So I wanted to share with you guys. I've teamed up with them. And any of my listeners who choose to purchase Coconut, which I think you should, give it a try, you can use the promo code SEXTHERAPY101. That's the name of my show, right? No spaces. SEXTHERAPY101. And they're going to give all my listeners 15% off of your order. So give it a try. I'd want to hear back from you, how it pairs up with what you've been using lately, and just passing on some good news. All right, welcome back, listeners. We've got Daniel Burgess again, round two, another great um, episode we've got in store for you. So, Daniel, welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Well, I have a website. It's uh, Ascent, as though you're ascending up a mountain. I, that was the imagery I was going for, sure. ascentfamilytherapy.com. I practice out in California, Silicon Valley area, but we also offer remote or online counseling or coaching. So you can find those services there or on our Facebook group, Improving Intimacy in Mormon Marriages, where you can gather and, and discuss these type of things there with uh, over 2,000 uh, like-minded individuals. 
great. And I know you work with a lot of LDS couples. So this next submission is going to be right up the alley of, of your focus. Um, okay. Here we go. This anonymous submission was sent in this week. She writes, I was raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In our religion, we are taught abstinence until marriage. This includes no heavy petting, no oral sex, and no masturbating. Basically nothing besides kissing. There were even bishops at this time who were taking temple recommends away if you confess to French kissing. I never had a bishop like that, but I followed the For the Strength of the Youth pamphlet and knew that when I got married, it would be more special because I saved myself for marriage. Fast forward to 21. I was still a virgin and getting married that year. I'd been given little to no direction from my parents about what sex is or was supposed to be. I knew the basic dynamics. I knew from watching movies that you take your clothes off, he climbs on top of you, there's a few hip thrusts, and bam, you're both left breathing heavily next to each other, tangled up and ecstatic. Wrong. Sadly, this expectation was not met on our wedding night. Our clothes came off, there was a little foreplay involved, but that meant that he touched my boobs and I was left feeling super self-conscious about him seeing me naked and I thought that I had I really been willing to risk eternal salvation for this? It's kind of lame. It was nowhere near what I had envisioned. What was the whole climax thing? And where was the scene from when Harry met Sally? The whole weekend we had sex, a lot of sex, in fact, but I never orgasmed once, which left me feeling like a failure. He had no trouble reaching orgasm and I was left feeling frustrated. Fast forward to three years later, I was still frustrated, and he was frustrated that I was frustrated, and sex was a chore. At this point, we were desperate, so we drove to Barnes & Noble and sheepishly found our way to the adult section, where I constantly kept checking my back to see if anyone we knew was watching us. We found a couple's intimacy book, and I can't remember the title. It was something like The Joy of Intimacy, and there was a bunch of pictures with couples in embraces with no clothes on, even though it was only from the neck up. It was all very tastefully done, and there was no frontal nudity, but I was still mortified and thought that this was a slippery slope to pornography addiction. So I ripped out the pages that I could, or I glued paper over the pictures, and then allowed us to both read the book together. It was helpful, but I still had no idea how to get an orgasm with him inside me. I mean, that's the goal, right? Aren't we supposed to climax together? Fast forward now 20 years into our marriage and we figured it out. We can orgasm together nearly 99% of the time. Side note, this is pretty actually remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we're not perfect. Sex happens about once a week, sometimes every other, if I'm being honest. Not because sex isn't great, but we're parents and we're pretty tired. But this is still something that I feel bad about. Why? I think society has led us to believe that sex should happen every night. My husband and I have decided that we'd rather it be quality instead of quantity. What would I tell my 21-year-old self? I'd tell her that lube is her friend, that foreplay is a must, and to let go of the Hollywood ideal. It might exist between some couples, and that's great, but what matters most is my relationship with my spouse, and there's no magic number. I'd also tell myself that it's okay to use a vibrator. Finding a partner that understands your needs and that he understands yours will get you so much further than reading a self-help book. 
but those self-help books can give you some answers you might be experiencing. Research together was the answer for us. It's the end of the submission. What are your thoughts, Daniel? Well, there's a lot there also. So where I'm going to start off here is, it's interesting. I like the comment she says, you know, if I could recall it right, it, it, give each other time to figure out, allow the other person to figure you out and to research yeah. it. The problem is going into marriages like this, and I see it over and over yeah. and over again, our desire to keep the commandments so much that we shut down every sexual desire, every avenue for education and understanding, and, you know, even parents being able to talk with their kids about the nuances of intimacy. We run into a few problems here. There's we just so much for, fear. It's so much fear. And that fear prevents us from knowing who we are as a sexual person. And so when you enter into marriage and you're going to learn it with your partner, you don't even know who your sexual self is. Right. And you're trying to teach somebody else or share and it gets convoluted. And so what happens is this sexual, I, I call it in my book, sexual silence. And it, it's not just not talking about it, um, but it's not acting on it. It's not It's not recognizing it. It's not researching it because as she pointed out, she was afraid even just to research it would lead her into some sort of addiction. Right. Well, that's just problematic. There's nothing else in the gospel or in science that we study that we approach with some similar perspectives. Point is, if we don't know ourselves going into this relationship, you're going to continue to have this problem going forward in your relationship. And it really is the exception that couples end up figuring it out. I thought um, so too. I was a, like, wow, good job. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't mention therapy. She didn't mention counseling, just determination and research. And you're right. I sit with so many couples who are 20 years down the road and they haven't figured it out still. It, you know, Cammy, this is an interesting uh, idea too, because I, I would be very curious with this individual when she says it's good now. You know what I usually find out and, and when I start to explore their sexual health is what they're saying is it's not bad anymore. Mm. And that's a big difference from it being good and you having good sexual experiences in your relationship to it's not bad anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very different experience. And so what I'm finding is, is even those who are saying it's good are taking what they can from the relationship uh, and not thinking it could even be better because they don't even know if it can be. It's an excellent so let me back point. up. How do, we, how do we prepare going into this? And this is a very individual thing between you and the Lord, but we are to get familiar with this before our marriage. We are to understand ourselves sexually, whether that's to research it, to understand our body, uh, what is aroused. I can't tell you how many. I, so men have kind of, it's not the, I guess it's, it's a blessing and curse here too, is they get an erection mm -hmm. and it doesn't go away as a teenager. I'm not trying <laughs> to be silly. I, I, I don't, the wind can blow. So when we think of this idea that we don't do anything to intentionally arouse ourselves, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. How many teenage boys I've had in my room who like, I didn't do anything. It, it won't go away. They start to pray their erection away. Right. They're not learning. They're not understanding, but 
a lot enter of these shame, young men, enter self-loathing, enter depression, yeah. and enter scrupulosity and OCD right. issues. Exactly. And so they they start to see this as a very okay, we say sex is beautiful and it will be beautiful when we get married. Um, let me give you one example how this is a very common experience. Now, this one, um, I've heard this a few times. This one might be a little bit extreme, but it is very often very similar to this experience. One young man, when he was 13, was struggling with the cravings to masturbate and to um, seek out pornography. And he was doing everything he can through his faith to um, avoid those temptations, those feelings. And at one point, he started to grip his penis in a way that hurt so that it would shut down the feelings. We never Um, want to pair sex with pain. We never want to make that link. And that's exactly what happened when they got married. Guess what his sexual experience was like? Painful. Painful. Yeah. He had trained his body and his mind to experience pain in that moment. Wow. He has struggled with that for years. And as a result, it kind of, I'm not going to say it was specifically just that. Eventually, uh, the relationship ended. They got a divorce shortly after. Um, he felt she wanted sex too much, and it was not appropriate. Um, kind of a real role reversal of what we sometimes see in, in the clinical office. Usually, it's it's the female. Sure. But the reason why I use this example is for two reasons. One, what we're doing, both men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, before we're married, affects our married life, period. This no, you know, at all cost, we don't tempt these feelings at all cost, takes a toll on our marriage and trains our brains and our bodies in an unhealthy way to not even be able to talk about it. But most men have this feeling, they get an erection, the only way to get rid of it is to ejaculate. So before marriage, a lot of men, I would say the majority of men, um, know what it's like to have at least somewhat of a sexual experience. A lot of women don't even have that. It's not like they have an erection that they need to get rid of. And so going into a marriage, like she was saying, it's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to feel. Right. Well, the man's over there, you know, he's, he's going at it. He's, you know, on his fifth time here. And you're like, what's, what's the point? The wife's feeling lonely. She's feeling left behind. She's feeling like she doesn't really need to be there. Really, she's Correct. not too too involved in his pleasure. Completely and missing out on her own. they don't know how to talk own. about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first part is the physical aspect. We don't know our own bodies. Uh, so you're asking, oh, Daniel, what do you mean by that? So what, do, what are you suggesting? Well, learn your body, whether that's through the anatomy or actually what does it feel like to be touched? You're in the most safe area. <laughs> you're in the most safe situation with yourself before a partner, as much as you love and know them, in a lot of ways, they're still a stranger. So you and just so framed that as I, safe. And this woman is coming as, from the point of view that sex felt really dangerous. And so I yes. like how you framed that from a place of self-autonomy, a place of self-trust, that this is the safest way you could learn because you can trust yourself. Wow, that's really different than the message people have internalized who sit with me in my office. 
That's correct. And when you can't trust yourself, what happens is this type of codependency when you get married that your sexual experiences are not your own. That someone and else has the right to, to monitor whether mm-hmm. or not you're making good choices because you can't trust yourself. And a lot of people say, but I trust my husband. I trust my <sighs> wife. I believe you. But when we talk about something this intimate, we need to be in a safe place. And safe in this term doesn't mean they're going to hurt you, but that you're willing to be yourself completely without the concern or expectations of somebody else in the room. Otherwise, you're going to always associate your experiences with that person. I'm saying, well, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's necessarily wrong with that. If you know who you are, first of all, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? you don't know how to share or, or to express. Now, not everybody needs to self-explore or masturbate to learn their body. Not everybody needs to do that. But what I have been finding is those who go into a relationship understanding how their body works, they are set up for success. To whatever degree that is, they are set up for success. The second part of this is how we communicate. We're we're not communicating. So when parents have discussions about sex and and the fact that most don't with their kids, um, we're teaching our kids how to not talk to our partner, to their partner, their future partner about sex. So when no matter what you – do you follow me there? Yeah. The message is this isn't something we talk about – it's secret, not just private. It's really uncomfortable. And even though we're in a close relationship with someone, this is still an off-topic yep. conversation. When we don't have role models who show what it looks like to talk in detail about intimacy, we are training our children to do the same in their relationship. And that is that – is, the second most um, uh, most difficult obstacle, I think, in, in overcoming because spouses don't want to talk about it in detail a majority of the time, not just because it's uncomfortable, because they think it's unnecessary. So I hear you saying those couples who are set up to be sexually successful are those who've come to learn that their sexuality first belongs to themselves, and they're aware of what they find pleasurable and they're aware of their own body with a sense of it belonging to themselves in a good way and then are able to come together and share that with their partner through communication about their unique sexuality and it becomes a sharing yeah, am I hearing you right? Yes, that's perfect. And it and it's we hear this a lot, right? We need to communicate. And that's a difficult one too because how do you communicate it? And you know, being able to break through all that awkwardness, we we as so I'm going to step into the role as a parent now and mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of reach out to the communi- community here and and really really encourage parents and adults to get comfortable with this topic. Um, You know, we have uh, vibrators on our nightstand and we don't hide or embarrassed about that. Now we're not flaunting stuff, but it's part of our 
healthy relationship experience. Our kids can ask us about those things. What is that for? This is part of our lovemaking Mm -hmm. in that we give them an example of how to communicate it without shame, without silence, without fear. Oh, this is a normal thing. We, we don't want to talk to our parents or, or talk to our kids about this because there's some sort of taboo there, but and it, and it feeds that fear and that awkwardness, and we got to just break through it. We're going to be awkward, but we got to break through it and just start normalizing it. And that will prevent us from falling into these dangerous routes, these risky behaviors, or not having sex at all. So tell me, as we're trying to break through this fear and create this normalization, how do you balance with your LDS clientele the idea that your sexuality belongs to you first and it's something you share? How do you balance that against some of the way sexual values are interpreted that the church offers to families? Yeah, it's it's not an easy one, and it really depends on the clientele. I think a lot of uh, it, it is very interesting because I think a lot of couples, by the time they finally get to the therapy office, so I have a few experiences, and, and this is one of them: is is the old way isn't working, right. and they know they have to do something, and they're at a scary point, and so the script I, you I were given the, didn't work. And so it's interesting in those cases because it's one fear beating out another fear. And that fear is we're going to be miserable for the rest of our life or we're going to get a divorce. And so that fear takes over of the old fear of doing something wrong or breaking the commandments or, or doing something inappropriate in the sight of the Lord mm-hmm. or having to discuss with the bishop. And by the way, I'm going to throw this in here. Get the bishop out of your bedroom, please. We, we need to do that. We bring too many people to the bedroom. Our parents, oh, Daniel, our I love you. <laughs> I, our customs, <laughs> as much as I love and respect, I can't, our, our, our leadership, our good leadership, we as individuals bring too many people to the bedroom. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a couple say, should I talk to the bishop? Or I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, do I do this? Uh, boy, I don't want to have to talk to my bishop. Oh, my goodness. Please no wonder don't. we can't be successful. Yeah. What's that? I said, please, when, you, when they say, should I talk to my bishop? In my head, I'm screaming, don't, please don't. No. <laughs> this is between you and the Lord first. You and the Lord first. And it's bringing uh, back that would... idea that you can't trust yourself. Correct. Sometimes oh, to clients, exactly. I want to give them a grown-ass man card and say, here you go. You don't need another adult chiming in on this. Please, can we mm-hmm. create a greater sense of internal authority where you can trust yourself to know if you're crossing your own lines or not? Exactly. And you're reinforcing that unhealthy habit. So they, so that fear comes in. They realize that their relationship is going to probably end or they're just miserable and they don't want to live like this for the rest of their life. And so they're willing to, to say, let me try something new. Uh, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not having the eternal marriage I ever thought I would. So something has to change. And then you have those who come in who are um, adamantly determined to see things black and white and essentially want ways to do it right in in doing the same thing more, right? And so Mm -hmm. um, 
as as a professional, I make it a rule of thumb. I never interfere with one person's journey or health. We always reflect. Right. Is this getting you closer to your goals? And how do we, what other things are there available for us in this toolkit for us to understand and grow? Is this working? And so creating some self-reflection there and taking it to the Lord and, and those who feel it very important. I, I do, actually. I feel it very important for you to, if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, to take it to the Lord. Are you doing that? And what I find is a lot of them are not. They're taking They're it to the bishop, tools. but not taking it to the Lord. Correct. Hmm. And then I have them ask, oh boy, if I could see if I could remember, I I always say, I'm like, yeah, I'll see if I can remember. I'll have them reflect on three different questions. The first one is, what about this behavior, this situation um, is preventing what traditions, customs, cultures, and family history is preventing you from having sexual fulfillment? Hmm. What perceived, and the second question is, what perceived doctrines, principles, and concepts are preventing you from having sexual fulfillment? And then the third one was, what perceived ideas around this behavior are preventing you from having sexual fulfillment? So it takes them through their family history, their doctrine and religious perceptions, and also a perception of their partner. My partner is suggesting this behavior. I think he's sinful for doing that. What makes you think he's sinful? He's a worthy man in all these other aspects or a worthy woman in all these aspects. His curiosities are being shut down and yours are also being shut down by you not actually taking it to the Lord and exploring it for yourself. I love those three questions. I think those are concrete, helpful, relevant questions to start to begin that self-reflection of, is what I learned helpful? Would thinking about this in a new way be helpful? Can I bring goodness to my marriage by breaking down some of the old ideas I brought into the marriage? I love it. I love it. Exactly. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today and discussing this uh, anonymous submission. You're doing good work. I'm just so thrilled to know you. All right. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. 